the question is, well, how do I action on this data? How do I use this? I've never had it before. There's no there's no roadmap to show me, well, these this number of fluctuations in a day means this for the disease. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Today I'm joined by Jordan Bryanov, Head of Digital Strategy at Takeda Pharmaceuticals, Ariel Dowling, Head of Sensing and Measurement at Takeda Pharmaceuticals, and Arnav Roy, Associate Principal of Clinical Development Excellence at ZS. Today we'll be talking about the latest innovations in digital devices and measures. And before we start, I want to say thank you to ZS for sponsoring this podcast. Jordan, Ariel, Arnav, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Pleasure to be here. Okay, Ariel, I'll start with you. What are some of the latest innovations in digital biomarkers and endpoints in phase three and phase four studies? So I think what we're seeing more recently is an openness to to the even the use of digital endpoints within these later stage trials. So for a long time, digital endpoints have really been focused as exploratory biomarkers, particularly in, or maybe secondary or primary in earlier stage trials. It's usually a little bit easier to innovate in earlier stage trials. It's more you're more open to to different results. It's in you know there's fewer subjects, etc. Phase three is really where those trials come to you know the make or break point for that particular asset or that particular molecule. So there's been a hesitation there, uh, but I think that's to the detriment really of the field because there are a lot of opportunities that people are missing by by taking more of the conservative approach to these phase three trials. So just this past year, we saw the FDA approve a digital endpoint as a a primary endpoint for a phase three trial. And this was for um, a trial that was run by a company called Bellerophon. And the endpoint they were specifically looking at was uh, moderate to vigorous physical activity. So the, the, the goal here was to try and quantify over the time period that the the patients were in this trial, how much activity they were having on a daily basis, specifically in that moderate to to, to vigorous uh, level, and that was the that was the endpoint. It was quantified using uh, a wrist worn device, so a typical actigraphy measurement, similar to you know your common smartwatches. But this one was specifically for medical measurements. And while unfortunately the the trial did not meet the endpoint, the digital endpoint did exactly what they set out to do. And that was what the digital endpoint quantified the data of the patients with fewer patients. And in a shorter time period, they were able to tell that this trial would not actually meet the primary endpoint. So they're able to stop the trial at an earlier stage after going through much fewer subjects than they typically would have before they did an interim analysis. So while the trial didn't move forward, the endpoint was quite a success because it gave them the data they need needed in a faster time period that allowed them to make a better decision-making process. So I think that we're starting to see those kinds of innovations in phase three trials, which is looking to elevate specific digital biomarkers up to that, that primary endpoint, which we really haven't seen before. I think in phase four trials, the majority of what we're seeing is more digital companions. A digital companion may include quite a bit of things. It might have an endpoint in it, but also might have you know, a patient education experience. It might have an ePro, et cetera. So there's been a lot of interest in digital companions for phase four, really, really going along and, you know, going with the patients over the course of their their journey in a phase four trial and collecting a lot of real world evidence on those patients and really understanding how those patients are, feels functioning and surviving within that phase four trial. 
So digital companions are definitely on the rise. And I think that, you know, a lot of these major, major pearls that have come through have come through with the digital companions. So we are seeing this interest in having not a drug device combination, because that is a very specific meaning to the to the regulators, but a companion to go along with a drug to really engage the patients and engage that patient population and keep them involved in the trial and keep understanding what that real world evidence is of how they are existing and living their everyday lives while on these treatments. Jordan, how should sponsors think about developing novel digital endpoints to ensure they are clinically meaningful to patients? I think in a couple of words, my perspective is that we we have to think of this in in a very thoughtful and systematic way. Uh, We should always start by considering the clinical needs and the patient input and sort of what the patients would be, what would be really meaningful for those patients. And then we really have to work through the technical, the operational, the regulatory challenges that we all have to understand as early as possible, such that we can then incorporate all of those different components into the trial design as we're planning to develop and deploy these digital endpoints. I think speaking of it just as clinically meaningful, right? Usually we only focus on the clinician's perspective and that happens, you know, that tends to be a miss. What's clinically meaningful for a physician may not necessarily be what's clinically meaningful for a patient or what a patient is truly challenged with. Oftentimes we think about bringing these novel endpoints which are based on the use of devices which technologists love but patients can't really get around and can't figure out how to use. So unless we start early and are very systematic in our approach and to how to resolve all of these different components, all these different pieces of the puzzle, we're not going to be successful. Arnab, I'm going to ask you a question now. Where and how should industry partner together to create the foundation for developing and deploying digital measures? Thank you. That's a, that's a great question. And um, I'll go back to a couple of points that uh, Jordan made, right? So the the idea around making sure that we understand the uh, the technological challenges, the regulatory challenges, as well as the operational challenges of putting these measures in our trials, especially phase three, as Ariel was talking about, right? Um, there are a lot of learnings that are coming up as there's so much more excitement, so much experimentation happening um, across these industry-sponsored studies. And where we are seeing a lot of the challenges actually realizes the adoption of these measures at scale. So uh, to counter that, we are seeing these in, in consortial approaches come up more and more, an example being the Digital Medicine Society. And the consortia are doing an amazing amount of work in uh, codifying some of these learnings and frameworks uh, that sponsors can use to incorporate these measures in their clinical trials. Um, and that's, uh, in my mind, going to be a key step forward, especially as we as an industry engage regulators um, in making sure that the pathways uh, of putting these uh, measures in our trials are clearer, the guidances are clearer, and actually band together um, around a few of these digital measures which have very high clinical relevance um, in the therapeutic areas that we are developing our drugs in. Um, for us to be able to do that, we believe that, um, you know, things like formal data sharing agreements, things like open ecosystems, um, and just data standards to begin with is going to be super important. Uh, because even now, uh, there's so much learnings that are coming up through these uh, validation studies. 
But then when we are putting different sensor areas in studies, these sensors don't actually talk to each other and then we are reinventing the wheel again and again and again. So to the extent possible, we can work together from a pre-competitive standpoint to share those learnings, to define those standards. Uh, that's just going to make make us adopt these, uh, these digital biomarkers and measures better in our studies. I want to add on to that, that the regulators have really been pushing that approach too. Like the FDA has been actively pushing to say, yes, we want industry to come together to recommend to us what are the best digital biomarkers, because they they are looking for industry alignment as well. And so the FDA has taken a very positive view towards large consortia that come together to, to essentially recommend biomarkers and get behind specific biomarkers as you know, best in class or really fit for purpose for the patients or for the disease state, et cetera. So there's been a lot of external push as well for industry to, to make these types of partnerships, because that is what the FDA wants to see when people come to them to ask for approval for a new biomarker. Thanks for adding that, Ariel. And what, Ariel, what are some of the key challenges in the development and validation of novel digital endpoints and measurements? I think a lot of the the biggest challenges come from the new types of data that these these measurements are bringing in. You know, one of the major benefits of these types of digital biomarkers, these types of digital data, is that we can bring in new data on a patient that no one has seen before. Right? We can bring in data from their home environment where we can tell them, you know, look at daily fluctuations of different disease symptoms. We can look at their sleep over the long term period. We can look at heart rate fluctuations, right? We can look at much more minute detail of patients than, we, than we've ever had before to really get an understanding of their health. But then the question is, well, how do I action on this data? How do I use this? I've never had it before. There's no, there's no roadmap to show me, well, these, this number of fluctuations in a day means this for the disease because we've never had that data before. So it's a question of you know, working with the, the key opinion leaders, working with the doctors and the clinicians that are on the front line to say, how does this data improve your clinical practice, right? How does this change how you're making clinical decisions on the patients? And so doing that is hard, right? Asking, asking the, medical, the medical community to take in this new information and make a differential diagnosis or make a change or make a different understanding of their patients based on new data they haven't seen before can, can make adoption challenging, right? Just because we can collect the data doesn't necessarily mean we should or that it's even helpful on the patients, right? Because a lot of the data may be, may be conflicting. So I think the biggest, the biggest challenge for acceptance is really getting the, getting the field to be comfortable with this type of data and also understand how to use it within their own clinical practice. In terms of the operational complexities, there's always the complexity of data integrity. You know, again, when you have a discrete data point every three months and when the patient comes into a clinic, you usually don't have very much missing data. But when you have a continuous measurement of the patient when they're going home, you're going to have lots of missing data. So how do you, how do you, how do you consolidate that all down into a single data point or a series of data points? Or, you know, how do you operationalize the use of these such that you have a standardized trial that you can still understand and account for some of the challenges that come up with continuous data monitoring. And then once you have an endpoint that you're fairly confident in, how do you prove that? How do you show that it's important to the patients? How do you show that it's important to the clinicians? How do you show it's important to the regulators? The regulators usually, the FDA goes by how does the patient feel, functions, or survives for their, for their use of digital biomarkers and digital COAs. So how do you show that this biomarker measures 
how a patient feels, functions, or survives. What do you show it up against? What's the ground truth that you're using? If your ground truth is more subjective, like an EPRO, is it really, do you really want to show matching to that that ground truth? Because maybe that ground truth isn't as a gold standard, maybe it's more of a silver standard. How can you prove that you're better than the existing standpoints? And looking to show that this metric actually measures something that matters, doing that clinical validation of the biomarker is a challenging concept because you have to think, how am I going to show that? What am I going to show it against? What type of data? How many patients are needed? How long do I need to measure them? All of these things are both statistical problems, but also an operational problem because it leads to what kind of data you collect. So there's quite a bit of thought that needs to go in to the clinical validation of a biomarker and then how you operationalize that to a large scale study that that really that really are unique challenges i think to these types of measurements and these types of data that we are collecting not that it should be daunting right you know just because you have a challenge doesn't mean you shouldn't you shouldn't address it but it does make it it is something that you need to think of as you start down the road to developing a biomarker and it is one of the reasons why this is quite an extended period of time it may take years to develop a novel biomarker even if the data can be collected very quickly in the original plan because there's all these processes and these all these these proofs you need to go through until the biomarker is accepted by both the population and the regulators. I see excellent points. Now so Jordan, given all these, you know, different factors, is it worth the challenge that is what is the impact to patient care and treatment decisions if we don't continue on this frontier? So Mary, I think in the long run absolutely. Uh I think we're not going to see the uh, the rate of improvement in progression if we don't try to embrace new ways of working, new ways of uh, running our clinical trials, new ways of collecting data. I think the, the the vision, at least the one we have at the gate, and I think a lot of pharmaceutical companies, is that by the development of new biomarkers and endpoints, especially digital ones, we could reduce trial burden. Uh, reducing trial burden is something that we hear from our clinical sites, we hear from patients. It is you know, something that we we all work very hard to try and figure out how to minimize. Uh, by reducing trial burden, by allowing patients to participate in clinical trials from the comforts of their homes, we hope to increase inclusivity in our trials to patients who live further away from clinics, further away from large academic centers. The hope there, of course, is that that would drive increase in diversity. Ultimately, uh, I think as industry, the adoption of new markers and new endpoints should lead to decreasing healthcare costs. If we're able to develop drugs and deliver them to patients in need faster and less expensively, that would have a direct impact on the cost of treatment. And I think all of these long-term goals would not be possible unless we we fundamentally change the way in which we collect data. And the current model in which patients have to go and sit in the clinic for hours on end, you know, and take time away from work, take time away from loved ones is just not practical, especially not in, you know, the third decade of the 21st century where we have the technologies that we could do this data collection remotely. We can collect so much more data than we've ever been able to do in the past and analyze the data and understand the patient condition. I think Ariel mentioned a lot of these sort of, if, if we can overcome the current thinking that, well, you know, a trial has to be run within a clinic with a physician facing a patient, if we, if we can move past that, and if we can truly 
develop these endpoints and these markers that become accepted, we have new ways of, of moving our trials forward, bringing treatments to patients and being able to improve the overall healthcare system. So I, I think that that's absolutely worth the challenge. I see. And I'm glad you brought that up about having to, uh, the idea of diversifying uh, the people that you can, uh, the population for a clinical trial that's so important. And if we have time for one more question, Arneb, what does the next frontier look like for digital biomarker and endpoint development, say over the next five years? Well, that's a great question. And I would love for Jordan and Ariel to also chime in here. But basically, based on what we are seeing, the world has changed so much just over the last three years, right? So we saw a big explosion of interest in digital biomarkers, digital endpoints across pharmaceutical companies, across service providers, across uh, medical technology companies, and even algorithm providers, to be, to be fair, right? What we've seen at least over the last three years is that has driven a lot of good innovation, but it's also driven a lot of fragmentation in the industry. Um, and now we are observing a trend of consolidation, right? Where we are seeing industry players actually banding together over a few measures which are really clinically meaningful. An example of that is we saw a lot of innovation in voice and speech biomarkers, a lot of exploration in that area as well. Now we are in a situation where we are actually going towards, hey, what can we really do with those biomarkers? What is clinically meaningful and, and how do we clinically validate those biomarkers? So we are starting to see more and more of these, not just analytical validation, but more clinical validation studies happening on many of such biomarkers. We are seeing more focus on regulatory acceptance and driving regulatory acceptance. We, are, we anticipate that's going to be a key area uh, over the next three to five years. The more biomarkers act actually get validated, actually get vetted by the regulators, the more we'll likely see the acceptance of those in phase twos and phase three clinical trials. We're likely to see even more use of uh, AI, uh, not in, in discovering biomarkers per se, but also around processes of doing so, right? For example, generating synthetic data, which may help us train and test our, our algorithms, new algorithms that are being de developed. And FDI has been very, very specific around why and how you can generate some of these synthetic data that can be used for testing and validating some of these biomarkers. So we'll likely see some energy, some investments around that as well. And lastly, uh, we likely see more advancements in remote patient monitoring outside of the clinical trial realm as well. We're already starting to see real-world use cases for uh, safety event detection, for example, in CRS, ICANS monitoring for CAR-Ts, bite therapies in oncology. There are studies that are running right now with remote patient monitoring platforms. We'll likely see implementation of those results and actual platforms itself in clinical care, which can potentially help drive more adoption more acceptance of these digital measurements across our clinical trials as well. So I would love for Jordan and Ariel to also provide your views on this. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that Arnav said. And I think that we're going to see a lot of this innovation happen in the rare disease space. I think there's been a real recognition in rare disease that a lot of the existing clinical endpoints are not really serving the needs of those patients and are not really matching you know, the symptoms and again, looking at how the patient feels, functions and survives a lot of times because there just hasn't been uh, enough effort to develop endpoints specifically for those populations. So with the use of digital biomarkers, there's opportunities to, to develop new digital endpoints that are really targeted towards that specific patient population, towards a specific disease that can handle, develop an endpoint that's robust enough to handle the heterogeneous nature of rare disease patients and how their disease presents, et cetera, as well as be able to be able to be measured within a far-flung patient population, you know, much more remote trials, much more 
uh, the ability to to collect data remotely, send it back, and still enroll patients from wherever they are and meet the meet the needs of patients. So I do think a lot of what Arnav said will come to fruition within the the rare disease space specifically. Is that is a that is a real opportunity to better meet the needs of patients and to better improve their experience within the clinical trials, as well as better understand how these drugs are affecting their life and if they are working faster. And if I may add one thing to this discussion, I mean I obviously agree with what both Ariel and Arnab said, but I also believe that we're going to see in the next few years a consolidation not only in the focus of different sponsors towards creation of endpoints, but also on the vendor and the device side. Because at the moment, we have so many different technologies that are available that each claim to be the best in the class and create their unique endpoints, and they have a unique measure. And I think that that makes it really hard for us to figure out how to bring them into real clinical trials that oftentimes last way longer than some of these companies are in existence. And so from a practical perspective, I mean, maybe this is somewhat aspirational, but I do hope that we see consolidation and technologies that are able to last longer and sort of withstand the like the timelines that we need for us to be able to meaningfully evaluate them, test them, prove that they work, deploy them into clinical trials, and then ultimately make them into clinical practice. And honestly, if I, if I don't, if this is not something that would happen, I don't necessarily see how we're going to be able to move past the point of just doing one-off experiments, which is where a lot of our work is right now, unfortunately. Excellent. Well, Jordan, Ariel, Arnab, thank you all so much for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your insights with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And special thanks to ZS for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. 